Welcome to Data Brew by Databricks with Denny and Brooke. The series allows us to explore various topics in the data and AI community. Whether we're talking about data engineering or data science, we will interview subject matter experts to dive deeper into these topics. And while we're at it, we're going to enjoy our morning or afternoon brew. My name is Denny Lee. I'm a developer advocate at Databricks and one half of Data Brew. And hello, everyone. My name is Brooke Wenig, machine learning practice lead at Databricks and the other half of Data Brew. For this episode, I am thrilled to introduce Charles Morgan, CEO and chairman of First Orion, and also a very prolific author, as well as Kent Welch, chief data officer of First Orion. So to kick it off for today, uh, you two have a wealth of experience within the realm of big data. Let's start off with how did you get into the field of big data? And perhaps Charles, let's start with you. Well, Brooke, uh, it started, believe it or not, uh, in the middle 1970s. What is that, 45 years ago? I'm quite sure I'm the oldest summit you've had on this podcast, but uh, I'm also probably one of the uh, biggest geeks you've ever had for a CEO on a podcast. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a mechanical engineer, and I joined a small, I went to work for IBM out of engineering school. I went to work for a small firm after I left IBM in a few years, and I... Uh, had uh, the chance to get into a new field. We were in political direct mail, and we were also in commercial direct mail. It took us into managing and, and doing a lot of promotional stuff on mailing lists, and we grew into a bit of a national reputation, and we actually, the first what I would call big data project I worked on was we had a national uh, client that wanted us to match all the voter registration in the United States to all the phone books in the United States, phone data, which was already, you know, uh, digitized to some extent. And we started dealing with the problems of big data. And those big data problems uh, morphed into, by the early 80s, I got involved with, uh, and our company got involved with Citibank in the very early days of credit card marketing. And that really grew into the first uh, big data instances, I think, are built in the world. I, <clears throat> I, I'm not gonna go on and on with this story, but uh, early, early days, everything was tape and very large databases on flat files. And, you know, that's, I, and I've fallen recently in love with I've never fallen out of love with flat files because they process a lot of data. And I look at Parquet and Databricks and how it handles stuff, and I said, I understand. That's cool shit. <laughs> so anyhow, I, I digress, I digress a, a little bit, but uh, uh, we, we, we built some of the first large relational databases on Deck Alpha in the early 90s. And, uh, uh, I mean, really big databases trying to take – all the consumers in the United States, all the five years of credit history in the United States, and say all the Citibank's transactions, uh, uh, you know, that they uh, have over the last several years for all their customers, and merge all that into one flat uh, or one database. And obviously, that would work a lot better if it could be relational in those days. Uh, the problem was. Uh, I, I bet uh, uh, Larry Ellison around uh, 1995, and it was at a function, and I, and I introduced myself, 
I said, uh, uh, Larry, I'm Charles Morgan from, and then it was Axiom. And I said, you don't know me. He said, oh, I know who the hell you are. He said, you're the guy that keeps breaking our shit. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> your databases are too big. So anyhow, and Kit Welch then, we tried to solve some problems how to deal with that. And that's where Kent and I came together. Uh, and we kind of got married on some building some big data solutions at, at Axiom. I was, I was the CEO, but I was still doing the head of R&D a lot. So... Anyhow, that's that's way more than you wanted to know. I got that's that's like 25 years, I, you right. know, whatever. But I am still uh, can't tell you I'm in their shit on all their design stuff. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That is one heck of a story, and I think that's a great segue into Kent. Could you introduce your introduction to big data? I, so I, <clears throat> I I came out of college as a young pup working at uh, at Axiom uh, uh, with Charles. Charles didn't know me then, uh, but uh, I was one of the the little guys and just doing some data processing. But uh, pretty quickly, I became a uh, solution architect in the uh, in the realm that we had and started designing some of these databases that. Charles was just mentioning. I spent a lot of time in the financial services sector, uh, but we had lots of other sectors, and so I kind of bounced around through uh, different industries, creating uh, these these big databases. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I, I started, and then became a business data expert in the company. Uh, and as Charles started talking about, we we had a, a a product that we were trying to build to make our our processing be faster and scale better than than the way that we'd had it before. Uh, technology we called Abilitech, and um, and so I came over to help design and build and then implement that product. And so uh, well, we did a lot of design work together. Charles was my number one data scientist. Uh, so I had a data scientist team, but Charles has always been my uh, top data scientist. He's kind of hard to wrangle uh, and then stay focused, but he's pretty sharp, so we can usually uh, get get good work out of him when we when we uh, give him a little bit of data to play with. Yeah, I, I still I still build prototype stuff. So, well, so I have to naturally ask. Well, so then you're busy being a geek. What inspired you to then all? And this is back to you, Charles. What inspired you? Uh, to, inspired you, and also. How do you have enough time to go ahead and create First Orion, for that matter? Well, well, I uh, I got involved in First Orion as I thought I was uh, uh, Axiom when I left it. Uh, I was CEO and chairman and had been for 30-something years or 35 years. And uh, when you, we had a billion and a half in revenue and about 7,000 employees. Uh, a CEO of a company that size is herding cats and not uh, doing the fun stuff. So I, I saw uh, an idea about uh, uh, that was a precursor to First Orion, and that was handling, you know, call management solutions inside the network of Wireline, and that was in about 2008. About the time I was leaving, and I actually was a, a founding investor of First Orion, I really did not get involved in the business on a, what I would call a daily basis until 2000, 2012, and then by 2013, uh, I had so much, and I was the primary funder of the business, I had so much money in it, I took over as CEO, so I've been the CEO since 2013. And amazingly enough, we're a startup that's made money 
virtually every quarter since 2013. So, uh, you know, we're 300 employees strong. Uh, I think we said we were 302 on Monday, and we're, we've hired 90 people this year. So we're a pretty fast-growing startup, and what we're doing is all about data management and, and doing some very large-scale data management solutions again. And that's what I like to do, and that is fun uh, for me. Uh, and even though he's not on this, this podcast, it was uh, Jamel Brown who brought this whole concept of Databricks to me, and uh, I, I hadn't spent enough time to really understand it, but it sounded like great promise. And, and Jamel turned that great promise into what I would say uh, is what will end up being, uh, you know, a transformational technology for us because we have got uh, uh, an absolutely ridiculous amount of technology to build in a very, very complex solution space. And uh, I really think Databricks is going to be a, a tool that will allow us to do it uh, I'd say this better, faster, cheaper, and uh, you know have a more reliable end result. So, uh, I I have studied enough about Databricks, you know, say Data Lakes, Delta Lakes, Lake House, and all that those fucked up names you all have for your product. <laughs> so, but I will tell you. Uh, the, the whole parquet uh, structure, and I shouldn't, you know, because you won't have any questions to ask me because I'll tell you everything I know. <laughs> the, whole, the whole parquet structure is incredibly elegant in the way you all are optimizing it with Spark, Spark jobs, and, you know, the, the, the fact that you can do, uh, I mean, you've taken, you know, Spark from being a really great tool to being a much more elegant tool that you can fine-tune and organize uh, so you can manage data uh, in, in this environment, large amounts of data. We saved a lot of money. Uh, you know, we, we, were, we, we were spending 430000 a month uh, in AWS, uh, you know, a little over a year ago, and we have implemented Databricks, and we're, we're now spending about three eighty last month. So we've virtually 50% more work and we're spending, you know, 10%, uh, 10% less. So it's, uh, it's already been a, a big help to us. We probably got 40 people in the company doing Databricks, 30, probably, 40, probably, something like that. Probably 40. Is that right, Jamel? Yeah, Jamel, that'd be right. Yeah, he said, yeah. Well, we certainly love all of the praise for Databricks and the Databricks product, but I have a question for Kent about transformations. So you're a chief data officer, and not many companies currently have chief data officers. Could you ev educate everybody about what is a chief data officer and perhaps something that they don't know about the role of a chief data officer? Uh, well, so that's an interesting question. If you actually look at uh, the, the roles out there, if you do searches for chief data officer uh, in the various companies, you, that, it's kind of all over the place, right? There's lots of different types of chief, chief data officers. The backgrounds of the people in the jobs are very diverse. Um, and so it, it's a little bit different based on what each company needs is what I would say. Um, and so um, the, 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 the job role itself is kind of hard to nail down. Um, what, what's, 
something you wouldn't know about a chief data officer. Uh, I, I don't know if I could actually pick out certain things. I know in our area, uh, we're a little bit more product focused. Uh, our, my group is more product focused, so we're building a lot of um, new product, as Charles talked about, using um, using as uh, this technology specifically for scam, fighting scam in the in the world of uh, voice calls, uh, and that's really our big focus. So we're a big big product focus group. But interestingly enough, as we get bigger and bigger, a lot of the uh, the data science that we are are looking at it's kind of turning internal to uh, some of the, the data that we need to run our business, uh, keep our systems going. And so it's a little little bit diverse on the, the job role. But any our, all our large data assets, in effect, your group manages. They do. That's right. I mean, that's really what it's all about. From my perspective, somebody's got to own your data assets at a high level. And, you know, I mean, there are obviously all these people around the edge. We have it now, we have a chief security officer, we have a chief privacy officer. But remember, we've got a lot of consumer phone numbers. We've got all the phone numbers in the United States and some in the world. And we've, so we've got consumer data and we have call records of, you know, a lot of, a lot of phone calls. So we're very privacy conscious. We're very data security conscious. And, you know, how we manage that data and keep it secure you know, it's all, you know, if we have a really big screw up, I just, all I have to do is just call Kent and say you screwed up. <laughs> right. So. That didn't happen very often. No, not really. And I mean, that definitely makes sense that the role of a chief data officer is very diverse because if you look at data scientists, they all have very diverse backgrounds getting into that field as well. It's hard to pin down what exactly is a data scientist. Makes sense that a chief data officer, same problem there. Uh, but now I'd like to segue a little bit since you talked about spam detection. Um, how exactly... Do you keep track and build models to detect spam, given that the nature of spam changes over time? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a well, that's a good one. And by the way, it's it, I mean that's the 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 spam scam business is a big business. Uh, these guys are are making billions of dollars just in the United States off of U, off U.S. citizens, and so it's a uh, it, it's a kind of an arms race uh, type deal is the way I would describe it. Um, and so we're we're um, we're focused on bringing all of our data assets in to see, as Charles talked about, we, we see uh, billions of call messages that we're trying to, uh, to dig in and, and determine what's good traffic and bad traffic. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, big, a big, big data problem. Believe it or not, uh, almost 30% of all the traffic on the public switch telephone network that is intercarrier. That is, uh, you know, in, you know between, I'm sorry, between, no, intracarrier. Between carriers is scam traffic. Thirty percent. It's crazy. Yeah. Wow, that's a pretty insane number. It's built. No, I, you know, what what was our biggest call block day? 108 million calls in one day. We blocked or scam tagged 108 million calls just on T-Mobile. Whoa. Okay, so the, I think that naturally segues to like the next question is like, so then how often are your, like, how do you build processes to actually handle the, the basically what you're just calling out an arms race here? Like, are, are you constantly ch updating your feature engineering? Are you constantly updating your data processing, your machine learning models? I'm just curious, like, that seems like there's a lot to go here. There, there is, right? And so we have to look at the, 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 the problem from multiple directions. And so... 
Uh, we have different types of models and processes that we put in place. And, and so the scammers, you know, are, are going down a path and we figure out how to stop them and they work hard to try to figure out how to get around that. And so uh, we have uh, a lot of different types of models that uh, are constantly being updated and changed. So some, some of the data that we have uh, goes in and up, updates on a daily basis and some of them on an hourly basis and some things mm -hmm. 10 times an hour, sometimes near real time, right? We're, we're having the, our machine learning components that are, are sending. But we're looking, uh, half the calls that we tag or identify are in uh, what I'll call a sort of a delayed offline process. Half the calls we identify are, are real time, real -time. looking at the actual call SIP message itself inside the network as it hits the edges of the network. So we're looking at a call coming in and we look at it and we do what we call call credit. We, we look at the the uh, invite SIP message, and there's a lot of data in there, and we analyze that, but we also analyze uh, data, uh, you know, offline in our Athena AWS database, and uh, we look for different patterns, which may be high volume, uh, you know, high volume scammers that are uh, you know, spoofing, not spoofing, but mostly our offline stuff is the non-spoof stuff. Right. Well, then, can you describe to me a little bit about like how this, how the how these spam texts work? Like, what type of models? Like, what what inherently is in this stuff that basically that you're tracking? Is it just like the phone number? Is it the text itself? It's the metadata. I'm just curious. Like, what? Well, no, it's no text because remember these are phone numbers only. Now we're Phone, phone calls. Yeah, yeah. Phone, phone calls, calls only. Yeah, voice no, calls. Well, we're looking mostly at the, the detailed data, in, and there are a bunch of fields that uh, uh, are in there. Uh, you know, for example, it says uh, in, in, the, in the phone record, it'll say, you know, here's the, here's the number that made this call. Well, that may be spoofed, it, but it will also have, here's the type of device that made the call, here is certain routing data that about the call. Here's where the call came from. We also have from some of the interconnect carriers. We have here's where they got the call. You know, there's all that kind of stuff, and there, uh, you know, there are some a, a, a myriad of other parameters that uh, we look at, and, and very obscure stuff. That the only way in the world we could tell you, we'd have to kill you. <laughs> But there's some, you know, time series stuff that we do yeah. uh, as well that we're looking at it. And one of the important things uh, in our process is we're not just looking for the bad calls, right? We're looking for the good calls. And so we're really trying to uh, understand call patterns for numbers and for traffic routes uh, and, and digging into the details of that. And then you look for anomalies, right? So you're doing a lot of anomaly detection uh, across those good and bad calls. And so... Uh, odd things, though, happen in the, uh, the, in the telecom world where uh, for phone calls start getting routed new directions because they have what's called least cost routing. It's cheaper to go this way, and it changes the way that the traffic goes. Uh, and so you've got to be able to understand that even though it changed to pattern, it's still good, right? So we're just, it's just a constant pattern uh, anomaly detection process that we're dealing with. 
But now just so you all have to be understand that uh, for the most part, we've got a system that works for this, and we are looking at picking up some other carriers, but almost all of our growth and all the stuff we're going to be using Databricks for in the future, because we already converted a lot of this to Databricks, all of the future growth is going to be in our branded calling solution. Uh, we are working to bring every handset in the United States uh, into a, uh, our exchange and so that every phone call you get from every business will say who it is calling, who's calling you, and why they're calling. And uh, that's partially enabled by an expanded caller ID field and in the future will be, expand, will be uh, delivered by uh, RCD, which is uh, rich data content. And that uh, solution will bring all the carriers together into one centralized platform, and we'll be managing policy, we'll be managing billing, uh, we're going to be managing uh, uh, the actual uh, distribution of the content to each of the carriers, and we'll also be collecting all the data from all those phone calls back into an analytics databases that will be displayed or available to the customer. This is not for marketing. None of these calls can be made unless they have a purpose for making them that is a permissible purpose. So you're not going to get any unsolicited uh, you know, phone calls from this system, or you're not going to get spam calls because they're going to be secure calls. It will know it's not a... Uh, a spoof call or a, a, a inappropriate call. So we also have that that merges all our scam stuff in back into this solution too. So uh, it's stir shaking. You don't know what that is, but it's there's some industry standards. RCDs an industry standard, and you know we're trying to be the the, the first. We've actually demonstrated our ability. To produce an RCD call uh, working with T-Mobile. There was a press release that went out, what, about a week ago, I guess. Maybe you look it up, T-Mobile's RCD. Uh, first in the industry to deliver, and that was us. Well, all of us will be thanking you for stopping these spam calls from coming through. So um, we definitely have to thank you all of you for that. I do want to ask you a little bit more about the culture at First Orion, because I heard that you have a pretty interesting 100-day program. Could you talk a little bit more about your first 100 days at First Orion? Uh, the, we have the 100 day, the global expert on 100 day projects sitting right here with me. Yeah. Well, so our 100 day project uh, concept <clears throat> actually started back at Axiom when, we, when, when I was telling you we started this Abilitech project. And, and the idea is we had a concept uh, that we needed to be first to market. And how do we, how do we get there, right? So you have to put your blinders on and focus on a, a, an MVP product. How do you get the basic out as fast as you can? But it has to be built on something that you, you can't throw it away, right? You have to be able to build on it. Um, and so the, the mindset has been uh, pull your top talent in, uh, get them focused on a very finite set of things that you're going to deliver and put a you know, really tight timeline on that doesn't allow you to to yeah. waver and go off track, right? And we and we focus on doing that. And so we've done that a couple of times. We we did that at uh, at Axiom when uh, when I first came over here to first round with Charles. 
uh, and actually we hired Jamel, you heard him talk about uh, Jamel, we hired Jamel Brown. We actually created the first 100 day project at First Orion then to build what we call Athena, which is the, our, AB, our AWS environment that has all of our knowledge, all of our models on the first scam detection that we did. And now what we have done is, is we've just launched a 100 day project, I guess we're halfway through now, uh, a 100 day project on the technology that Charles just talked about. So we're going hard to get uh, uh, that full solution in place uh, within a 100 day period. And then you can build on top of that and you can start adding all kind of additional functionality, but yeah. the core of what you've got is there and ready to roll. We're, we're delivering these branded calls right now about 30 million a month so it's not something that's going to happen in the future but we're trying to build a much more robust multi-carrier platform uh, that can handle not 30 million a month but 3 billion a month so well this is super interesting i love this concept of the 100 day um uh, uh, the first 100 days you know uh, pro type of project but then i'm but you we we basically are talking about culture and i'm just curious uh, especially considering everything you guys have gone through like what's the, the the difference of the tech culture in arkansas versus in like you know silicon valley i'm just curious well uh, you know I, 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 sometimes it's very very different and other times it's similar i think every company has got to build their own culture uh you know it, it, when when a lot of people start uh building a business the focus is on getting shit done you know just get stuff done you know hire good people and get stuff done uh sometimes when you can't hire good people you just have to hire people to get stuff done so uh our our uh culture focus here has been to make it very integral with the way we work our culture is the way we work i mean we I don't know in a lot of ways we're all that different from some of the West Coast cultures. We, we, got free, we don't have free lunches every day. We have free lunch on Tuesday. On Thursday, we have Beer 30, where everybody can come up to the, this floor. We're on our fifth floor of our building. And we come up here and we have you know, free beer and no telling what else. I mean, we may have Mexican food, Chinese food, or a combination of Mexican and Chinese food. You never know. <laughs> Uh, and beer and uh, some wine generally, and uh, we, we we try to uh, you know uh, uh, create a uh, a team-based culture and a camaraderie. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. Everybody at home, but we've got everybody back to work now uh, pretty well. Uh, even though Arkansas is a real hot spot, but you know you can't everybody back to work unless they're vaccinated. And so we've. We've told everybody, you can come to the office, you've got to be vaccinated. We're not having anybody in the office that's not vaccinated. And uh, we're not having any issue. Yeah. Knock, I'm knocking on wood really loud right now. But uh, we're not having any issue here because people are vaccinated. Uh, and I really encourage that. Uh, we, have, we do a lot of communication. Uh, we have a Monday morning meeting where we have 45 minutes where I talk, all the leaders talk, our uh, leaders have a separate leaders meeting right after that uh, and we do a uh, uh, I say a lot of surveys feedback from our uh, our people finding out what they think of their environment uh, we do great places to work every every year we we have a, a culture that's founded on people first people first 
And uh, uh, but that's a, there are four there are four pillars. The upper left hand corner is people first. Guess what the lower right hand corner is? Innovation. And uh, clearly, uh, we we want an innovative company. Uh, we want one that is you know considers people. And you know, if you're going to be considerate, considering your people as one of your most important assets, then you know you have to exhibit characteristics like trust and trust and transparency. And so uh, we don't have a complex, what I'll call a complex culture, but culture is all about living it every day. We try to have you know we have fun and and have it be a, a fun culture. But it's a culture where everybody's responsible for getting the job done. Uh, we are very, very clear that uh, we don't have vacation policy. We don't have sick leave policy. But you better get your ass to work and get something, get shit done, or you're fired. Yep. Can I make that direct? Yeah. You know, you've got, you, can't be, you cannot be a member of this community and this culture and have all of your work done by your uh, team members. You've got to do your part. Now, everybody doesn't have to be brilliant, but everybody has to do their part to the best of their ability. So, uh, <clears throat> and we also try to do a lot of training, uh, cornerstone of our training. Uh, you know, I, I know y'all are interested in that. Uh, it, and the way we get our, we don't have an enormously large pool of data scientists, but we have uh, apprenticeship programs, which are, is that a six, 14, or, well, I mean, week program is your apprenticeship program. Our program for this six. is about three months. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. So uh, we have an apprenticeship program, which is uh, school all day. It's not work part of the day, it's school all day. You're fully. You're paid, uh, you know, you're hired and paid uh, uh, to the job you were hired into, but you're in a probationary period till you get through the, uh, the, the three-month apprenticeship program. And the apprenticeship program is use a combination of, you know, I say off-the-shelf education, but is, uh, we have an education staff of three or four people, and if it's an apprenticeship program in Kent's area, it, he's going to have a lot of the people actually responsible for that program, uh, you know, in the classroom, you know, hands-on. We do a lot of, uh, uh, like, capstone project and stuff. Uh, and so we're sure when they get out of this program, they can, they're ready to go sit down and help build a model. So Exactly. I mean, I love this whole discussion we've just had on culture, especially this, um, well, one, the beer and Mexican and Chinese food, uh, but two, having this program to help train data scientists because there's a global shortage of data scientists. Yeah, hey, I, 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 we have 42 openings right now, if either one of y'all are interested. <laughs> so, excuse me. Thank you for that call out. We were going to do that at the end, but thank you for putting that one in there, Charles, that you're all hiring. <laughs> And so just as a way to wrap up the conversation we've had today, I want to leave all of our listeners with a bit of advice. And so I want to ask each of you, uh, Charles, what advice do you have for people that aspire to be a CEO? And for Kent, what advice do you have for people that aspire to be a CDO? 
Well, I think we actually talked about it uh, is that, you know, you, nobody's going to be successful alone. I know so many businesses where people are, start off a business with a friend or something and get some investors. And, you know, it's all about, you know, it's all about building things, getting something done. And it's all focused on, you know, getting sales, getting revenue, getting there's virtually no focus on, you know, the culture and even generally the training or all these kind of things which are, are related to it. And, uh, you know, we, we, we got to a point at Axiom that uh, we had a lot of things out of control. Our culture was not managed. It kind of evolved and happened. And even though we hired really good people, we worked hard, customer first, but the culture was not formal. It was informal and it was all over the board. And uh, we didn't have standards for leadership training or any of those things. Don't, don't wait too long as your business evolves. Have some idea of where you're going. Don't, don't ignore the concepts of uh, having people-related policies and culture early. Uh, don't just think about trying to get through this next month or two months. If you start getting any level of success, try to transport yourself into the future. From the early days of Axiom, we did planning meetings a couple of times a year with the leadership, the top leadership. We still do that that here. And doing a lot of planning, doing a lot of thinking about your future, you can always take off, you know, uh, a day, a quarter, or a day every two, every six months, and kind of look, peer into the future and try to organize yourself to be successful. So organize for success, plan for success. You've heard those kind of terms. Really important when you're a young company. Don't ignore those things until it's too late. For chief data officer or anybody in the data field, uh, the thing that I would say is always be inquisitive, right? You need to be inquisitive. You need to be looking at, hey, what, what does that mean? Or what caused that, right? Thinking, thinking about those mindsets. We have a, a saying we use around here, and we've used it uh, for 30 years, of uh, it's the data, stupid. And, and meaning it is literally data is the foundation of everything that we're doing. And so uh, you've got to start there and you end there. And, and, and a lot of times in, in some of the things that we've seen happen is, uh, projects get away from that and then inevitably what you always come back is well what did the data tell you and let's go back to that point and then let's see where we go from there so that'd be the focus I would say for for chief data officers. Yeah, people don't get a vaccine shot I say look at the data stupid. <laughs> oh this has been a wonderful session so thank you very much uh, I, we're gonna we're gonna leave it with uh, it's the data stupid and people first and innovation. This has been wonderfully great advice uh, from Charles and Ken. Uh, any last words for that matter before we close? <laughs> hey, I hope you can publish this. Uh, and, uh, if you can't, uh, you know, it's, it's my own fucking fault. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, Al. Y'all were fun. <laughs>